What Drives You is brought to you by Ziggler, your premier source for equipping life and leadership coaches. Visit Ziggler.com and let them inspire your true coaching performance. Yeah. Welcome to What Drives You. I'm Kevin Miller, your host and guide to help you master your inner drive so you can live a driven, inspired, and peaceful life that sees you driving further and enjoying the ride. In this episode, we're back with inner mastery expert, Hitendra Wadwa. In our previous discussion, we dove into the focus of his book, which is called Inner Mastery, Outer Impact, How Your Five Core Energies hold the key to success. And, and folks, it was just such a journey for me in a, just giving more focus to this inner world that we so often tend to ignore at the sake of the outer world. So here is my What Drives You episode that you know I do with every guest where we go behind the scenes to hear what drives Hitendra in this case in his personal and professional life, how he handles his own pursuit of inner mastery in his own world. Hitendra, again, is professor at Columbia Business School, founder of the Mentora Institute. His class is on personal leadership and success. It's one of the most popular at Columbia Business School. Uh, Hitendra, thanks for being back with me. Sure, Kevin. Continues to be a pleasure. Looking forward to this. I am too. This is a one that we have been, I've been privileged to do for so many years and it really puts the uh, uh, personal connection on how you're walking this out in your life. Because I know I, I was a, I'm grateful for your book and I saw a lot of testimony to that. Well, you shared that, that one of the testimonies that you got from one of your students, that was one of the things that you shared in the book that they said, you know, all the information on business and, you know, all these topics was great, but what they really appreciated was your personal story. That's what got you that's some way on this journey. So that's what this is about is your personal story, right. looking at what drives you. And my first category here is spiritual. So tell me what is driving you in the context of your spiritual life. I've been from a very early age drawn to you know, the same kind of questions that I'm sure all of us have, like, what is death? What happens after death? And, um, you know, how, how am I really connected to people beyond just my family that they call my blood? And, you know, is there, is there, is there truly a conversation happening between that star and me? I, I kind of like a feel like, you know, some, some parts of the universe are talking to me. And, and so these kind of like subtler, very you know, complicated, but kind of like very, um, mystical kinds of, you know, questions have been a part of sort of my, you know, just makeup from a very early age. And, and so what I found ultimately really for me, a great sense of reassurance, comfort, clarity come from is in studying the mystics, you know, across world traditions. Now, these mystics are people who have been drawn to the idea that there are higher states of consciousness mm -hmm. that we can all work our way towards those in this life, not wait for death and beyond to help get us there. That there is, in fact, a divine loving force in the universe that is all powerful and all knowing and, you know, and um, yeah, just uh, completely attuned, you know, to who you are. Yeah. And we've all emerged from that force. And the whole purpose of life is to awaken back to that, you know, that divine identity that we have at the very core of a being. And there are certain contemplative, therefore, practices, you know, deep immersive prayer and, you know, chanting and other forms of music or, you know, uh, just uh, uh, attunement with nature and just kind of taking, you know, deep walks and sitting in stillness in nature and then meditation, you know, kinds of practices. So these have been, 
you know, developed and honed and experimented with by truth seekers, you know, from these mystic traditions across across the ages, across time, across faiths. And, um, you know, as I started to study them and I started to study their experience and started to study some of their practices, I ultimately converged on one modern day mystic, you know, from the last hundred years, Yogananda. You know, Yogananda means like bliss through yoga. And he was a pioneer in bringing yoga to the West um, in the year 1920, when he first came here to speak at a Parliament of World Religions event in Boston. He was 27 years old at that time. And then he decided to stay and to, you know, put some roots, you know, in America and to also um, make this the, you know, the, the, the headquarters for what became an international movement and work called Self-Realization Fellowship. A fellowship, a community of truth seekers who are very drawn to the pursuit of self-realization. And um, and so in Yogananda, I found a modern day mystic, somebody who's, you know, packaging his ideas and thoughts and insights in English, you know, a language I could understand and read. Uh, and yet who was tapping, you know, the wisdom of the ages, not just from, yes, very much so the deep, um, you know, scriptures of India, but also connecting it with, for example, the mystical you know, insights and truths in the New Testament and what Jesus was doing and teaching his apostles and, and beyond and celebrating the Sufi, for example, community in the Islamic tradition as well. And, you know, kind of writing a book on, you know, the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, you know, one of their, you know, you know, really remarkable Sufi mystics who, who wrote beautiful poetry as well. And so, so he was honoring and appreciating that mystical impulse in all traditions and then, you know, tapping and deep diving and organizing and structuring and offering in a modern form. So anyway, so that's been my, my very, blessed, I think, journey over the last, uh, you know, ever since I was 10 years old, really. Um, and I'm just like, so, so grateful. That's been a rich part of my makeup. It's, it's, I appreciate using the word mystic. So in grow, I grew up in the, this, the Bible belt of the South and in a uh, pretty staunch confinement of Christianity uh, as a religion. And the term mystics is something that we would have thrown out. I would have thrown out and, and a lot of uh, the folks that I was with would have. And yet in recent, really in recent years, you know, if you look up, if you type in mystic in the uh, grand old search engine of the internet, one of the first definitions, it says a person who claims to attain or believes in the possibility of attaining insight into mysteries, transcending ordinary human knowledge. The people I revere most are anyone who's trying to transcend ordinary human knowledge. I would hope to be a mystic. I, I, I would question anyone who did not want to pursue a, a greater understanding than what, again, is just given to us externally. And yet when we look into the, you know, the, our, our inner world and spirituality, how can it not be mystical? And it's interesting in our first show together, you talked about India. In compare, not comparison, but uh, different than America, that India had such a, a rich inner world, and yet the outer world is a little messier. Here in America, we've got a pretty tidy outer world, a pretty abundant outer world, and yet the inner world is pretty messy, which we can, again, if we want to put a measurement on that, look at diseases of despair as one of the fastest rising areas in chronic illness and disease. So I bring that up because from a spiritual standpoint, I would expect that you would testify that you had the privilege, you know, in India of is a much more spiritually focused culture than what we have here is more of an, gosh, an expectation of mysticism and, and, and whatnot there than here. Fair? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating. You know, it's just in the air. You know, God is in the air. You know, people are just constantly, 
invoking, you know, some uh, version or aspect of the divine in yeah. prayers and, um, you know, in affirmation of their faith and um, uh, embracing the day and, you know, what prospects there might be for them in that day and um, starting the car and going, you know, on their commute for that day. They'll first just do a little bit of prayer and a bow like that. You know, they'll pray before they they eat, you know, food and, and uh, you know, they'll say, God bless you, you know, from time to time to each other and, and so they're just like God everywhere and nobody nobody questions it. And it doesn't mean that it is a certain very rigid form of God. I mean, I ultimately went to a Catholic missionary school in India uh, because at that time when I was growing up, you know, they were doing some great work in India in terms of the quality of education that they were able to bring to the urban areas of India. Since then, the school system has developed even more. But, but you know, uh, you know, and the fact that I would, you know, listen to and learn stories from the Old Testament and the New Testament you know, and, and, and a prayer like, you know, our father, thou art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I mean, like it didn't bother anybody at my home that, you know, that is a version of faith that I was getting to absorb. And it was beautiful. And like, why not even put Jesus on our altar, just like we put Krishna on our altar, like, and, you know, and so, so, so that kind of very inclusive, very fluid, very open, very curious, very just absorbing and respectful and devotional, you know, aura. Uh, I mean, I think that's been like India's greatest gift to me. Can I ask what your, do you have some daily practices that you do to foster your own spirituality? Yeah, no, thank you for asking. Uh, it's something that I was uh, really wanting to instill early in my life. My mother would just create this practice for us at home of, uh, you know, a daily prayer and chanting and a short little meditation. And, you know, regardless of what was happening in our life, we, we came together, you know, as a family. Um, you know, my father was less available for it, but my mother and the four of us siblings were all there. So that became like the foundation. And I wanted to grow it from there. I wanted to become, you know, just very regulated and regular with my meditation practice. I wasn't able to get it there for year upon year. And, um, you know, and then at some point I got very, you know, pain and frustrated about how passage of life is just kind of advancing and I haven't done what I truly wanted to do. So early, in, like my my 30s, I started a lot of soul searching and recognizing that I'm I'm like making time for everything else and then saying like this meditation practice I want to take hold of, which Yogananda taught, you know, through a very special form of meditation called Kriya Yoga, that it'll come later. It'll come later because everything else has to has to happen first. And then I went through this moment where I said, no, it's the exact opposite. I, I got to surrender my outer hungers to first make space and time for this and just commit myself to this. And like, this is what I begin my day with. This is what I end my day with. This is a critical and core pillar in my life. And then everything else, you know, fits in with whatever time that remains. And and when I made that turn and kind of went for that, you know, it allowed me to finally, finally get that to become part of my, my, my daily regimen. And it's been beautiful. And so, yeah, so for me, uh, this practice of Kriya Yoga of, you know, twice a day turning my attention within, uh, activating some of these prana or chi or life energy within me, taking it to my, you know, centers of higher consciousness, higher chakras, you know, as I say in yoga through the practice that Yogananda taught, then seek to just be in stillness, be stillness and just await whatever grace in that moment comes, sometimes just flowing with gratitude or joy or love or whatever, you know, whatever that moment brings. Um, it's like a spiritual bath, you know, that you take every day, you cleanse yourself of, you know, all, all the debris of like worries and thoughts and concerns yeah. and, you know, demands and wants and attachments. And you feel like you feel like this purest version of who you are. And that's very affirming because you realize that, yeah, 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 you know, I'm going to step away from this and I'm going to get into the battlefield of life and all that craziness will come back. But 
I know now, I know now who I am at my core. I know that there's a way to access that place. I know that when I'm in that place, I think in the most illuminated ways, I am much more reassured about everything. I feel really whole. And therefore, um, anytime I find myself getting too caught up in the tizziness of the world, all I got to do is take a break. All I got to do is go within. All I got to do is go into my spine and into these higher chakras. And I know that some some blessing will come to me from that, which will allow me to bring a more authentic, soulful, you know, realization and engagement with the affairs of the world. So yeah, so that that practice, you know, done done twice a day, and then and then a little bit of like return to the soul kind of way of you know reconnecting with that from time to time in the course of the day when when one feels the need or has the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. Uh, next category here, uh, Hitendra, is relationships. Uh, tell me about uh, relationships. I know you got a family and a, and a daughter, but just relationships at, at large from your uh, family to friends, to colleagues. Tell me what's driving you in your pursuit of relationships. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, I think for me, you know, the most treasured and precious and important relationship is with spirit, you know, and, and, um, and I went through, a struggle, very serious heartbreak and struggle at some point early in my, you know, 20s. And the one realization that came to me from that was about how behind every relationship is this just human hunger for fusion, for connection, for understanding, for belonging, for, you know, for companionship and for everlasting, you know, everlasting love. And, and that's, that's a beautiful hunger. And that's one that is an energy that, you know, is flowing, you know, within us and around us. And if we can somehow tap into that and engage with that through every, you know, interaction and every relationship that we forge, then one, you know, in some ways is fully, fully experiencing, you know, the, um, you know, the uh, connection of the human spirit, but, 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 but the human spirit, you know, on the, on the other side. And so aspirationally, at least that for me has been since then my, my greatest quest that I don't um, approach relationships from a place of possessiveness, you know, and, or a place of, um, if you're not going to be in my life, then I could, I, you know, I, I won't be happy. Or if you don't act like this, then I can't be happy. Or I need you to be this, not that, you know, um, and and on some days I'm able to rise to that kind of higher order form of you know impersonal but universal and very deep love you know it's personal as well but it's not personal as in possessive um, and then other days I'm not able to achieve that because I still I'm human and I'm still work in progress so the people in my life you know from that vantage point as you mentioned you know um, for some reason you know I've just been gifted with just a lot of very special women. Uh, in my life, my mother, you know, certainly my father too, but he, uh, he, he has passed on, but my mother, my wife, my daughter, um, my sisters, um, you know, their families. Uh, but then at one point I looked at my students at Columbia and I realized like, my God, Hitendra, you can't like otherize them as though like they're an intrusion, you know, into, into your world when they reach out to you and ask for a little bit of counsel or support or help or extra time and all of that. They're family, you know, they're family. And so I definitely look at at Columbia and, and uh, the students have graduated and others I've known from here are affiliated, you know, as just another extension of sort of, you know, my, my, my family. And then, and then the world beyond, I mean, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just hard like to not, you know, not, not appreciate and value and um, 
love, you know, um, the people that you encounter and meet because everyone has some special gift and some special quality. Um, for my newsletter, uh, which comes out once a week, uh, the last two editions of it uh, have been uh, my Davos diaries. You know, so I was at World Economic Forum in Davos and um, both those newsletters were about these, uh, you know, very special conversations I had there and some insights and breakthroughs that were achieved in those moments of connection. But, you know, relatively speaking, prominent people, you know, very sort of storied, you know, leaders of, of major organizations and beyond. And then this week's newsletter is about the third and final of these Davos diaries. And that's this moment where I'm actually returning from, you know, Davos to Zurich um, and I'm in the train and there was this individual in the train that I connected with and he ended up being a member of the Swiss um, security forces, you know, that were, uh, you know, kind of, you know, parked there in, in Davos at a time and all these world leaders and all were coming to kind of just provide security. And it was amazing, you know, the connection I had with him, the conversation I had with him, the meeting of hearts and minds and spirits that happened there, the, the warmth of that hug, you know, that we gave each other at the end of that journey. And, and he's this 19-year-old guy living such a different, you know, kind of life than what I have lived. And yet, you know, very kindred spirit, right? And so I, I love this romance that we can have with the world where you just never know where, you know, which person shows up in your life, when, for how long, but to play some kind of very special role, to kindle some kind of really special connection. And uh, and so those kinds of evolving connections and interactions and relationships are, you know, mean a lot to me as well. Of course, I'm, I'm very grateful for my dear circle of friends and um, and family, but but those uh, those broader relationships are very core to my human experience too. Hey, Tendra, thank you for sharing that. And it, uh, you've got me thinking too. I mean, again, your focus here is inner mastery, that as you do that, as you pursue inner mastery, you are pursuing a connection to self, which I, it's interesting that it's come up so many times the diseases of despair, which you first brought up, that I would look at that and say, those are primarily a result of a disconnection from self. And so as you pursue inner mastery, as you connect with self, what I hear you or what I'm extrapolating from what you just shared is your ability, your growing ability to when connected to self that you can more easily connect to others. Yes. That is really important. I think, you know, you're, you're hitting upon something which I'm just processing as, uh, as we speak. Uh, I remember, you know, some time back, there was a book on the science of loneliness that came out and, um, you know, we all know how much that is an epidemic today. It speaks a little bit, right, to these uh, diseases of despair as well. You know, one of those really is loneliness. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, partly that what the book was talking about is that it's truly a disease. You know, it has significant negative, you know, impact on our health when we experience chronic loneliness. Um, but the other thing which was very interesting that the book was pointing to is that what the research shows is that the... Um, you know, the disposition for somebody to be experiencing loneliness does not have to do as much with the number of, you know, outer relationships they have in their life. It has something to do with their inner condition. And so somebody could be surrounded by lots of people in their family and or lots of people at a party. They may be very popular on Instagram and whatever, but they could be incredibly lonely. Mm -hmm. And painfully so, when we hear about some kind of a, you know, suicide or something um, in, in Hollywood, right? That's an example of somebody who clearly, on the one hand, like from the outer side, like 
People magazine and everything would have told you that they have everything going for themselves. But somehow they were just feeling very lonely. Um, and, and on the other hand, you could, you could actually have somebody who could be a hermit and could be living a relatively quiet and secluded and reclusive life, but they may not be lonely at all. Um, and so what is, what is it in the human condition, right, that um, um, determines and shapes our, our sense of belonging and connection and enrichment of relationships versus feeling lonely? And, you know, as you've said, you know, a large part of that has to do with, are we doing the inner work? Are we doing the tilling of the inner soil? Are we connecting with our core, with our soul, with our spirit within? And if we are making space for that, we're making time for that, we are connecting with that. What happens is you then come out into the world, not from a place of tremendous neediness, right? It's not that like, I have to, I have to make sure that you, you, you're my friend. I have to make sure that you're going to be there for me on Saturday because otherwise I'm going to be so lonely. You know, rather than that, you know, I show up now to more like celebrate our connection, to actually value you for your qualities and attributes, to be here in service of you as well and make special experiences happen together. Not because I'm not complete without you and whole without you or I'll be lonely without you, but because, you know, having in a sense nurtured and connected and tilled my soil from within, you know, I'm, I'm here to show up to just like flow with love flow with connection, flow with grace, and to tap into that same energy in you and then make beautiful things happen together. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon. Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous. And I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled-in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital. And Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. You all know I greatly value and pursue my health and wellness, and I'm always looking for better products and resources. Nutritional supplements are a staple for me, and a must is a probiotic to support my gut health and function. 
a probiotic is something I've taken each and every day for the long-term cumulative benefits. Seed is a company that makes a symbiotic, which is actually a unique mix of probiotics and prebiotics. Probiotics are beneficial bacteria and prebiotics are food for these bacteria. So Seed's symbiotic containing both helps balance my gut bacteria. So together, the Seed DS01 symbiotic benefits my gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. Taking seeds, DSO-1 symbiotic, and avoiding the foods I know my body is sensitive to has taken me from constant digestive problems to almost none. I trust seeds clinical trials and breakthrough research that's been published in top scientific journals. You can entrust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash drive and use code 25DRIVE to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash drive, code 25DRIVE. flow with connection, flow with grace, and to tap into that same energy in you and then make beautiful things happen together. That's, thank you. Thank you. That, uh, you know, we, we, in the first talk together, mentioned energy and our energy and even how it can change in the transformation. And I am so much more aware of that every day as I learn and grow and seek my own uh, inner mastery that my, the impact of my energy on other people. It is uh, beautiful and it's daunting to me when I'm struggling to control yeah. my energy yeah. and know that it's going to influence people. Well, uh, the next category here is health and wellness. Uh, and sorry, so- I'm sorry, before we go there, yes, you know, look, it's also, it's also, you know, our right, you know, to, to be looking out to those people in our life who can sometimes be the source of that energy for us, right? When we are beaten up, when we are, you know, struggling, you know, um, yes, you know, there are these mentors, there are these inspirational sources, um, there are these friends and ones who trust us and who are vouching for us and cheering, you know, us even during our, you know, moments of struggle and who infuse that sense of confidence and reassurance in us, right? And so I, I don't want to sort of like propose that you or I, we take on the superhero kind of question journey where we don't from time to time lean into and tap for that kind of support and reassurance and inspiration, yeah. right? The, the right people around us. Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough. Absolutely. I mean, we know that that has, I want to, I want to be whole enough in my, in myself, but yes, what a gift that I believe God would, mm-hmm. uh, would, would transfer himself through other people often yeah. times that I need it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So lovely. Health and wellness. Tell me what is driving you in your personal pursuit of your health and wellness. Yeah, I mean, I mean, um, if you want to talk about like sort of like physical health, um, you know, the the um, you know the basic sort of building blocks of it, I'm, I'm sure at this point are qu- quite well known, right? Uh, whether it's about sleep, whether it's about just kind of your stress level slash emotions, whether it's about your um, diet, whether it's about your lifestyle, including exercise the environment that you're in and, you know, eliminating kind of toxicity, you know, from, from that environment. And you're, all of those are the right sort of parameters, you know, for us to optimize and deal with. In my case, there are a few things that come quite naturally, you know, to me, 
um, you know, being really vigilant about my mental environment, my emotional environment, making sure I'm recalibrating my thoughts and keeping myself in a place where, you know, where, where, where positivity and gratitude and appreciation and resilience and these kinds of qualities are, you know, as much as possible, you know, being tapped into. That has come a little bit more naturally to me. The parts that I had to really work on, for example, are things like diet, you know, and, and, and exercise. You know, it comes more naturally to some of us. You know, I have great admiration for you, Kevin, you know, for your, your sporting and athletic sort of propensities and all of that. You know, in my case, um, having not had too much of a pull towards, you know, towards um, like going to the gym, um, I have found for myself, um, you know, a balancing sort of like, you know, path there to be to take long walks. I love taking long walks. I think there's something more I can do to make them more brisk, from what everything I understand from the science of it, and even knowing about what practices of people like Gandhi were, they would take very brisk walks. And I think, you know, for those of us who are not doing a lot of other forms of vigorous exercise, at the minimum, that's something we should we should cultivate. And I, I want to step my game up there, although I just love my daily walks. Mm-hmm. Um, on the on the diet side, um, you know, I had a big wake-up call. I mentioned that in my book about 10 years ago when I had a, you know, kind of serious health issue that came up and unexpectedly so because I'd been blessed with really good health all my life and um, I felt like my you know mind over matter that I actually was really keeping my mind in a good place I you know I, I don't I don't drink I I um, you know hadn't really done drugs or anything so I just like I don't smoke so I mean I just I just feel like I, I'm, I'm a healthy guy you know in terms of what I'm taking into my body and yet here I was really struggling in that moment with my with my health and being told that I have a progressive and irreversible and chronic disease uh, and that I'm going to have to take these immunosuppressant drugs. And I didn't want to take those drugs because I knew they'd have all kinds of side effects and things as well and all of that. So I tried to fight it and fight it and fight it and it wasn't working. Then I tried to just like accept it and be very valiant about it and heroic about it. And even that wasn't working because I was like, my daughter was like, you know, dad, what's happening to you? To you, you know, you look blue. And, you know, I mean, and I realized that I may have to retire a little bit from professional life if I, you know, didn't see this recede. And yet the doctors are telling me like, there's nothing you can do about it. I flew to India. I went to the Himalayas. There was this Japanese monk that I've known over the years. And I, you know, I, I'm not used to asking people for help as much. You know, I, I, I'm kind of like used to saying like, hey, Tendra, you've been given a lot of gifts and, you know, it's time for you to kind of like fix your own problems in life and, you know, and, and, and just kind of like use your logic and wisdom to kind of figure things out. But in this case, I just felt I had to, I had to. And so I reached out to this, you know, to this gentleman I'm known for, you know, many decades. And I said, you know, brother, you know, help me. And, and you know, here's what's happening. And he said, Tendra, tell me about your diet. And as I did, he started to say, you know, I've seen some of you uh, folks, you know, you go to America and you your diet goes through all these changes and then you just like start having all these issues. And um, and and then he guided me through through that process. A lot of it had Kevin to do with me having to walk away from processed foods. I was eating out a lot. I was eating packaged goods a lot, microwavable food a lot. I mean, look at any of those foods you know, that we typically eat in, you know, in, in not all, but in many restaurants, as well as, you know, the packaged foods and all that. I mean, there are things in there around just uh, preserving the food, you know, for as long as you, you can on the shelf. And then, you know, enhancing the taste of the food through certain kinds of, you know, you know, functional, like just these like technologies that we've created in the food scientist kind of world. And you can't pronounce those words. There are these chemicals. They're not natural necessarily to the human system. And, um, you know, apparently over time, my body had, you know, become more toxic based on the kind of processed foods I was eating. So 
what I've learned over time, you know, as something that has really helped my diet, and it took me two years to kind of fix that, you know, game for myself. During those two years, my symptoms were still there. My health was continuing to go from bad to worse. But then two years into it, my symptoms just kind of like stopped. You know, there just were no more of these symptoms. I wasn't having the inflammation and the overheating and the skin damage and the sensitivity to the sun and all of those things that were kind of holding me back in the past. And gradually over the next two, three, four, five years, I saw my skin heal, my body heal. And it's just amazing. It's just amazing what a self-renewing, self-healing system we have, you know, in, in our body if we, if we do it right, right? And disease as a way in which the body talks to you and says, hey, 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 pause, hey, hey, pay attention to me, respect me, I'm a temple, you know, take care of me, I'm meant to manifest a lot of goodness, you know, in the years ahead, you know, you, you want to keep having the chance to hug your daughter, isn't it? 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. So like, take care of me, I'm the hugging agent, you know, I'm the one through which you're going to manifest all that you have to in life. And so um, dialing down on processed foods, um, just being, you know, much more careful with my sugar uh, consumption, um, you know, getting to as much eliminate processed carbs and going more for, you know, more fiber, you know, of the right kind, the healthy kind. Uh, those were some of the shifts that, um, you know, I was I was a vegetarian, so I didn't have to worry about like red meat kind of issues. But those are the things that really sort of uh, took 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 my diet to another place. And I'm grateful for that because now I look back, it's been eight years since I've been, you know, fully healed and recovered and all of that. And the doctors would consider it like a miracle of some kinds and that I didn't have to take any drugs and this just happened. But, you know, I've just been grateful for being able to tune in to that capacity in us to be self-renewing, self-healing organisms. And, you know, we just have to play the game right. Well, I appreciate that uh, significantly. And it's interesting you talk about being vegetarian. Uh, I come from a family who <clears throat> primarily is, and yet we've seen some of the different family members. You can be, veg you know, quote, vegetarian and have a crappy diet of processed foods. Oh, yeah. Even a lot of the vegetarian uh, substitutes, meat substitutes and whatnot so highly processed and yeah. and yeah, they're not eating whole foods. That just happens to be, you know, no meat, which uh, they'd probably be better off to eat meat and actually eat whole foods if they're going to go that route. But, and uh, I also appreciate you saying the processed foods and the foods you can't, or the uh, ingredients you can't pronounce. One of the books, I don't think I've recommended it in a while, but uh, if folks, if you want to dig in further to what he's talking about here, there's a book by Michael Pollan called, oh, yeah. yeah, food rules. You can read the book in 30 minutes, food rules, little paperback. We've bought cases of them uh, at different times to give away. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I'm so glad you're mentioning it. And he has this like very simple yeah. three-part prescription, right? You remember that, Kevin? Yeah. Yep. Like eat food. Mostly plants. Yeah. Mostly plants and not, not too much. Too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. Yeah. Good. Well, that was a good one uh, too. It's probably on my bookshelf back here somewhere, but uh, I just appreciate the testimony. It's also significant that you stuck to a new regime for two years before really seeing results. None of us want to hear that. We want to hear quicker results, but uh, what it, it's that? hard. It's really hard because I have to say my faith was tested, you know, from time to time during those two years that this is not working out at all. This is not working out at all. But I tell you, I, I think what really helped me is this undying faith that I have that whenever something happens to us, it happens for a reason. And somehow it's meant to be a catalyst for our own growth. Yeah. And so when this, you know, issue came to me, uh, the first form of growth that I thought would be to you know, be a fighter, to keep striving in life despite this, um, you know, this, this kind of health, you know, challenge I was facing. 
But then I changed my thinking. I realized that's not the fight I'm supposed to fight. That's not the growth I'm going, you know, supposed to go through. The growth I'm supposed to go through is to humbly ask myself, what am I doing to be a contributor to this um, ailment? And when I opened myself up to that, uh, then I became convinced that I needed to make that those reforms happen. And hopefully they were going to bring the healing that my body needed. Uh, and hopefully they'd do that sooner than later. But that conviction had come to me that this is just a message from the universe that Hitendra, wake up to take more ownership over your, over your diet, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, for any of us who lose hope about making the right positive diet changes, be convinced about those changes, be clear that you're making them for a reason and then just leave it on faith. You know, at the right time, you'll, you'll get the bodily blessings as well. Yes. Yeah. Goodness. Um, well, it speaks again to the, the inner, inner work, the inner mastery. That's our point here. You know, the next category here, Tendra is the mind and mental health. And you've spoken to that to some degree on yoga and on meditation. And you mentioned a moment ago, focusing on positivity and resilience. One of the interesting questions that I often have for anyone is, you know, so those are some of the things, well, I'll ask, you know, what, 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 let me, let me start here. When you look at a mental state, where do you want to be? What's the drive there that you say, here's the mental state that I want to be and where you don't want to be. And, and I'll give that the caveat of where you contend to get to, like for, for myself, I, you know, I want to be at peace. I want yeah. to be faithful. I can tend to get anxious, even with something good to get excited and get myself kind of wrapped up around it. So where's the mental state that you're driven to pursue and where are you at risk? Yeah. I mean, one frame that I find very helpful and I really borrowed and adapted this from the work of a dear friend, this renowned psychotherapist, you know, um, uh, uh, Dan, um, Dan Siegel. Um, and, and, and so in this frame, you know, if you think about yourself as a sphere, right, and you're a sphere of awareness, right? And in the sphere of awareness, you're sensorily engaged with the world. You're sometimes hearing the sound of my voice and sometimes, um, you know, you're, you're feeling your feet you know, on the ground and what have you, right? And so there's the sensory aspect of who you are. And then you and then you dive within that sphere, and there is this you know this hot molten lava you know of your thoughts and your emotions and you know your impulses right and so that's like what's uh, the reality the inner reality you know what you and I experience you know from time to time right so sometimes I could be you know sitting and eating dinner with a friend and in theory I should be tasting the food you know on my on my palate right but on the other hand I'm so consumed with this irritation or anger I have with somebody at work that actually my mind has drifted away. And I'm actually really identified right now with that emotion of irritation inside me, although I'm politely nodding my head from the outside and I'm chewing the food that I'm eating, right? And so, so if you recognize, you know, what I've just shared, that that's true, that that happens from time to time, then, then you realize that as a sphere of awareness, you know, your attention is placed somewhere at times on the senses, on the outer processing of the conversation you're having with your friend, or sometimes on the inside, on a thought or emotion or something that is consuming you in that moment. But then there is another part of who you are, and that's your core. You know, that's the, you know, the very center of your being. You know, that's your soul. Mm-hmm. And when you're, you know, when you're really anchored in that, then there's a certain equanimity, right, to, to your nature, a certain poise to your nature, a certain just reassured sense of peace to your nature. And, um, you know, nothing really affects that. It's not that because I'm eating a good meal that I actually am feeling kind of more joy there. No, I mean, like that joy, that peace is just a 
birthright that you have in your in your soul. It's it's always present. It's always there. So when I think about you know mental mastery, you know then then for me mental mastery is about you know two things. Part one is cultivating that presence within, cultivating that soul consciousness within, and always having a part of your attention, a part of your mind anchored there. A part of your mind is always anchored there. It's from where you're operating. It's that balcony from where you're looking down dispassionately at the dance of life, you know, that is going on. And there are all these players and there's you and there's this dance going on. But this part of you is on the balcony, really, very regally, sort of in a state of just, um, you know, equanimity, right? And everything you're doing. And then from there, you send out a spoke of attention. And you send out a spoke of attention to whatever it is in that moment needs your attention, right? And so... I'm not going to claim that mental mastery means that you never get angry or irritated. You know, sometimes it very well might be that it makes sense to send a spoke of attention to the emotional response you're having to some injustice or some wrongdoing that somebody's committed. And in that moment, that surges in you as anger, right? Now you take that anger and what are you going to do about it, right? Are you going to let it, you know, consume you? Are you going to let it just distract you in the middle of a beautiful dinner with your family? If that's the case, then you don't have mental mastery. The emotion is driving you rather than you, in some ways, capitalizing on the emotion to do good things in the world. But if, you know, you take that anger and you say, look, this is an important signal that I'm getting that I can't take this person for granted. I have to pay attention to this issue. I may need to develop the courage to raise my voice about this in some constructive way. This is not the right time because I'm just entering the dinner with my family. So I'm going to park this aside and I'm going to commit myself that this weekend I'm going to come back and reflect on it and think about it and, and, and kind of like figure out kind of what the right thing to do is with this anger. That's mental mastery. You know, that is this capacity to be aware and attuned to the environment, to your responsibility, your duties, your aspirations, to see these emotions and thoughts surging within you to pay attention to them, honor the truth in them, but then decide what it is that you should do in your best interest, right? In the best interest of the community and the purpose you're serving rather than feel consumed or victimized by them as yeah. though like, I can't help it. Obviously this dinner is not going to go well because I'm so consumed by that. Yeah. Well, then you're locked in by that emotion as opposed to paying attention to it, honoring it and letting go of it and turning your mental mastery, your mind from your core to some other part of what the immediate sensory environment is. For example, the beautiful food your mother has cooked or something. Uh -huh. I, I love you use the word mental mastery, but even an anchor. And it's interesting. I find myself viewing people and you know, those people who you can't, you, you can't ruffle their feathers. They're, they're good. They're anchored in that sense. And others that, yeah. you know, that a little misstep and they're going to lose it. And you can feel that. I mean, you know it about yourself or you know it about others, you know, but people you can't, you can't trigger. And it's interesting as you look at the lines that we won't, will or won't cross, you know, most of the people I know, hopefully all of them, they're not going to hit someone or hit their spouse, you know, in anger. Okay. We take that thing. But what will you do? Will you raise your voice? Will you curse at them? Will you call them a name? Will you whatever? And can we back that up to where? You're unruffled. You mentioned attachment earlier, which is a current focus of mine is attachment. Mm -hmm. How can I love someone well and be connected to them, care about them, desire even, but not be attached. And I'm, I'm deconstructing myself amongst that right now. Yeah. Um, and so as you look at mental mastery, that's one where I'm looking at, I call it relational, but it's, it's mental. It's, it's the inner work I'm digging in to what am I attached to and where are those emotions and watching that emotion going, where's that? What, what is that? That's attached to something. 
And it's not being emotionless. Again, we could go down that road. I'm, I'm in the mix of that right now. Um, thank you for putting some perspective to it though. Yeah. I used to think that except for happy emotions, you know, all the other emotions should be mastered in a way that they they don't exist for you. But I've absolutely changed my mind about that over the years as I've studied this discipline more. And I've also studied the lives of you know people we admire in history and all that. And so the point you're making is very relevant and very right that, um, you know, to me, this mental mastery and especially around emotions is more around recognizing that this rich, you know, canvas of emotions that we have are meant for our good, meant to be of service to humanity, not meant to whiplash us and to hold us, you know, hostage, right? And so, uh, and that's one of the, you know, kind of stepping stones towards enlightenment, towards transcendence, towards, you know, our highest potential to, um, and, and, and to your point, I mean, a lot of that comes down to, you know, uh, overcoming attachment, right? Like, how can you enjoy the good things in life, but without, you know, without, uh, getting so consumed by your addictions to them that you become imbalanced and then you become attached and you become possessive and you can't you can't really handle it when those things are not there and, and all of that right you can enjoy them when you have them and yet you can um, be at peace right with the results yes. yeah I'm saying yes and I'm nodding and that's the work I'm doing right now so beautiful uh, yes uh, next one here Hitendra is work career business. And what is driving you there? Obviously, you have had a vocation as a professor, and uh, I imagine doing other things now. Obviously, you have you know you've got a book now, and you're doing uh, I would say the work of an influencer. Well, I shouldn't say that you've been influencing from you know as a professor for a long time, but as a personality out there doing that as an author, probably as a speaker and whatnot. So when you look at that. Uh, as all of my guests have, you have lots of opportunities, probably an endless amount of opportunities. So what is driving your work and your business? What is the path that you want to be on? Yeah, no, thank you. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to think about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. So my book and this podcast are named What Drives You. And what drives us to great things is our own values, our known values. When we go astray, it's because we've lost sight of our values. 
Therapy is key for helping you clarify what matters most to you so you can do more of it. I was late to taking advantage of therapy. It was only for crisis, but now myself and most of the rock stars I have on my show get therapy regularly. For most people, the main hurdle is starting therapy. I recommend you try BetterHelp. It's entirely online. It's flexible. It's suited to your schedule. And trying it doesn't involve an afternoon of your time and all the hassle. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapist anytime, no additional charge. You can learn to make time for what is most valuable to you. So visit BetterHelp.com slash what drives you today. You get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash what drives you. So what is driving your work and your business? What is the path that you want to be on? Yeah, no, thank you. We've spoken a little bit about this idea of sort of inner beauty and outer beauty. Mm -hmm. And um, another way I like to think about it is the fusion between the spiritual and the material. Okay. That is kind of the um, intersection point that I am aspiring to sort of stand on and advance, which is that uh, to make our society whole, to make our politics whole, to make capitalism whole, to make our planet whole, to make our families whole, to make our professions whole, you know, for any or each of us to be whole, we cannot ignore the material and we cannot ignore the spiritual. And these two shouldn't be separated to being like two different parts of a life. You know, I go on Wall Street and become kind of a titan of finance. And then every now and then, because apparently I've got to, you know, make sure I'm doing some wellness stuff. So I go on this like yoga retreat or something. That's not to me at all, anywhere close to the balance, right? And the fusion between the spiritual and the material. The balance and the fusion of the spiritual material is where these are two very living parts of who you are every day. Part of it might be that you take some time for contemplation or for deepening in your inner quest. Uh, and that's okay. You know, you, you, need, you need that time away from your family. You need that time away from Wall Street or wherever it is that you operate. But, but it's got to be the case that if this is truly having the impact and, you know, is, is, is doing for you what it's meant to, that you can show up a spiritual being in the material world and do noble work, egoless work, in service of, illuminated, from a place of tremendous creative and collaborative, you know, possibilities. Um, and you're kind of like bringing the depths of your soul, your spirit, into your conversations, into your conflicts, into every every kind of striving that you do. And and suddenly every moment of every day becomes like a space for inspiration for you to do your joyfully so, joyfully so, your most inspired work, right? And 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 your most beautiful work, right? Your most beautiful work in the world. And and I mean, you know, this may be an ideal. It may be hard to kind of fully manifest that. But you know, and I know some people who, even in very humble professions and walks of life. They bring that, you know, tremendous kind of joy, fulfillment, engagement, service to their checkout counter, you know, kind of job or to their, you know, dormant job or to whatever it is that they're doing. Um, and it's humbling to see that, but it's also a glimpse into the capacities in us as human beings, you know, to do that work right. And so, yeah, professionally, Columbia to me is a platform to try to ignite that kind of fire and quest and give people the tools and methods for doing that. Mentora Institute is a platform through which we are seeking to do that with organizations and leaders and help advance a new kind of thinking about the inspired organization and, and, and translate you know, these ideas that you and I have been talking about into very practical tools 
I'm grateful that um, I've just published uh, as a cover story in Harvard Business Review just this very month in January, February, uh, you know, the print edition. Um, you know, in a sense, the the arc of the last 15 years of my research and my work, which is, you know, I call it leading in the flow of work, leading in the flow of work. And it lays out these 25 simple actions coming from these five energies that you were talking about. My book talks about purpose, wisdom, growth, love and self-realization that, uh, you know, we've developed this database over a thousand moments. So, you know, high performance, exemplary acts of leadership from everyday heroes, as well as from, you know, some of the more storied people in history. And what we find common across all of them is that, yeah, this blending of the spiritual and the material, activating and practicing everything they do on the outside from the inner core, the activation of these five energies of love and purpose and wisdom and everything they're doing through simple, small actions. And then what I've discovered is that if you make, you know, make us take just like 10 minutes of pause in, in our day and think about like a critical meeting, high stakes meeting that is coming up where you want to influence or build trust or give feedback or mention a hard truth or resolve a conflict, whatever it is that we need to do in the course of our day, personally or professionally. If you just kind of pay a little bit of attention to that human factor rather than just the Excel spreadsheets and the PowerPoint, you know, kind of decks, yes. we, we pay attention to the human factor. We pause and de-stress ourselves, play with a couple of these actions that we found to be universal, you know, that people are using in, in these kinds of, you know, exemplary moments of leadership. And then you can just show up a little bit more planfully. Lo and behold, you know, people just report, you know, and this is based on the research that I published in that article. They just report much better outcomes in how the interviewer just became a lot more human or the board just became a lot more open to being influenced by your message and your story and what you were wanting to do, et cetera. Um, and so people are just achieving a much faster level of breakthroughs by activating parts of their personality that they just had not been activating or using, you know, and had grown rusty. Maybe they were doing it when they were playing with their pet dog or, you know, talking confidently or lovingly to a friend. But at work, they were holding back a little bit of that quality of the heart, yeah. that, you know, that confidence or, you know, and all of that. And a little bit of structure, a little bit of pause, and suddenly a new version of them emerges. You know, it's beautiful. You know, I call it like leadership is a state, not a trait. And so that's really my, my professional sort of mission now is um, both in organizations and then for individuals, uh, you know, unto themselves at Columbia and then beyond. How can I kind of just kind of offer up more and more tools and practices through which we can really practically close this gap between the spiritual and material? I, I so appreciate that. It's it reminds me of I see so many people in the workplace that it's it maybe it sounds like exaggerated, but they're just they're dead. They're not there. And yet after work, they go out with friends or see a movie and it's a totally different person. Yeah. And we, we can experience that person. Then you you have those rare moments where you experience that person in their fullness in their work. And it's beautiful. I was uh, helped a couple of my kids get cars recently. And we went to this car. I had certain cars that they wanted, years, makes, models. And we went and uh, we bought one from from a gentleman. And he was so excited about cars and about this type of car and about uh -huh. helping my kid get a car. And it was, I, I almost felt like I'll, I'll pay a thousand dollars more just to buy a car from this guy. It was such wow, a great yeah. experience. And I can't wait for the next kid to get a car. We're going to that guy. Right. And, I, we we love that. We all want that. I want to buy. I want to uh, engage with do commerce capitalism, as you talked about, with people who love what they did. Which again, I'll give a call out to my dad. That was his book. Sold a couple million copies of the book. Forty eight days to the work you love. Wow, lovely. And, uh, what lovely, a gift lovely. is that? And I appreciate you mentioning flow too. We had Stephen Kotler on the show a couple years ago. Uh, and, and one of his uh, books, but he's a guy that we look to at flow and what a gift mm -hmm. to have work that you can enter into flow 
with, you know, a, a piece of work and we'll get that next category is money, uh, right. money, finances. Well, tell me what's driving you financially. Yeah. Very interesting. Sarah. Um, you're making me think. Um, so there was this book uh, called The Millionaire Next Door. Yeah. Um, yep. and, uh, um, Thomas Stanley, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the insights that that book, uh, I think, yielded, which was a little bit counter, right, is that um, what, what, what they found is that in this research about sort of the larger kind of world of, you know, the, the wealthy in America, I'm not referring to just the, you know, most visible top, you know, 50 billionaires sure. or something. Uh, but what you find with these people is that one of the common threads is that they were just living simple lives like in, in other words they were they were not consuming as much yeah. they were not consuming as much and so when you ask me about like finance and wealth uh to me the real wealth is that capacity to uh enjoy life uh without feeling the need to consume as much um in other words to embrace some form of simplicity in your life um, and that capacity to, yeah, uh, be able to enjoy without needing a lot of material things. Uh, so, so that definitely is a guiding force, you know, for me as to a quest I'm on. Um, you know, just constantly reminding myself that when I die, I'm going to leave all these possessions behind. But there's something I'm going to take with me. What is it that I'm going to take with me? How can I create the experiences and the interactions that kind of help me really build that as the most lasting kind of wealth in my life? Um, and at the same time, of course, I have particularly, you know, with, um, you know, with uh, the, the blessing of my wife, you know, I, I've uh, opened my eyes up to, you know, beauty, you know, around me and to uh, the value of creating spaces around us that uh, don't have to be, you know, tremendously, um, you know, rich in, in sort of material splendor, but that can still be, you know, designed in very, very, um, you know, artful ways and very beautiful ways, whether it's about bringing up plants into your, into your room and just having a little bit of nature right there, you know, or, or the right kind of painting or something. And so, uh, so yes, so from that vantage point, you know, having the wherewithals and the money to be able to live a tasteful life, a beautiful life, uh, and yet one which um, perhaps is uh, invoking more of simplicity, uh, making sure that one is, um, you know, being responsible about, you know, providing for a rainy day or saving for a rainy day or providing for one's, uh, you know, uh, you know, older years in life, um, you know, becomes obviously a responsibility of personal finance, you know, for any or all of us to take on. And then, of course, you realize that if you want to do, you know, your life work, you know, sometimes you will need the right platforms. You will need the ability to hire the right talent. You know, you will need you know, a profitable, you know, a form of sort of like cash flow so that you can manifest, you know, all the things you want to and you can invest in all the things you want to kind of make happen. And so so I do think that um, pursuing sort of, you know, financial success in one's ventures, in what one does um, is uh, when done with the right motivation and the motivation not being just to chalk up another zero in your bank account, but the motivation is because you know that when you have that, you will earn the right to do more good in the world to be able to manifest more of what you want to in the world without facing all kinds of financial encumbrances. Uh, so I have huge admiration for the business builders, for the, you know, for-profit sort of like pursuers who have been able to kind of build careers and, you know, at times enterprises in a way that self-renews a lot of like the fuel, you know, that runs society, which is, which is money. 
Um, and, uh, you know, in some ways, I'm a student of that. You know, I, I wouldn't consider myself to be anywhere close to being one of the one of one of the exemplars with, with you know how much success I, I'm able to manifest in that area. But but I do believe that uh, there is an abundance, you know, of of, of uh, resources in the universe. And when we tune ourselves to that energy and obey and respect its laws, that um, yeah, you know, there is basically the sky is the limit to what we can manifest in a way that will be true to us in a way that the universe is telling us that this is this is what I believe you need at this point. Uh, or let's scale it up 10x or whatever it might be at a given moment. This is what you need to be able to, you know, do full justice to what I what I hope you will see as your divine purpose. Uh, well, thank you. And that's a great uh, segue into this. The, the next category, which is achievements and looking at the talk about 10x. That's a series that we've done recently was was on that. But looking at achievements as you look at your career and in personal and professional life experiences, whatnot. What is uh, what is driving you as you look towards things you do want to achieve? Yeah, it's beautiful. You know these dimensions that you've uh, come up with and that you probe uh, probe your guests on. <laughs> you make me Thank do you. a lot of soul searching and thinking. Um, you know, um, there's one way to think about. I, I I used to I used I used to think about achievement as something that you do over the course of you know your youthful years your middle age years you you know you arrive at certain trophies and laurels in life and then at some point you retire and then you you know rest on those laurels and you play golf and you know travel the world and and that was the good life and then i read this book the agony and the ecstasy you know mm -hmm. which was a book on michelangelo and his life by irving stone beautiful book beautiful book and a beautiful story you know uh, michelangelo's um, and then I realized that, my God, this guy, he outlived, I don't know how many, nine or 10 popes. And, um, you know, at a time when most people had an average lifespan of about 30 years, 40 years, something like that, you know, he went on to live into his 80s, perhaps 90 or so. And, uh, you know, remarkable thing is he never retired. You know, he just kept sculpting. You know, he was a sculptor at heart and he did some painting like the Sistine Chapel, but mostly he was a sculptor uh, and, and he just kept sculpting. Um, and it's incredible. They found these unfinished works, you know, of his, you know, around the time that he just passed away as well. And I realized like, wow, you know, that to me is the true, is the true sort of mark of achievement in life, which is that you find your passion, you find what it is that you are at your core and you just keep pursuing it until, you know, the, you know, life just kind of recedes from you, <laughs> you know, you just keep pursuing and then that's a beautiful life. Yeah. And then I've had a third pivot. And that third pivot is from studying the Martin Luther Kings and the Abraham Lincolns and the Mother Teresa's and the Mahatma Gandhi's, you know, of the world. And what I, you know, what I found in them is that like some of these people were very threatened, you know, about their, um, you know, about their, their, their life situation because they were taking, you know, positions on, you know, issues in which some people were behind them, but some would consider them very unpopular. Um, and so they were asked a little bit at times, you know, about whether they're concerned about the fact that, you know, they could get assassinated and die tomorrow. And the general response, you know, like like this from Gandhi was like, no, I have nothing to be afraid of because I'm only here to do the bidding of that sort of, you know, kind of higher power. And when, yeah. you know, when when that higher power feels that my role here is done, they'll drop down the curtains and I'll leave because like, why would I want to stay here a moment more? And it's it's amazing. You know, I, I share that in the last chapter of my book on transcendence, how these people who were so striving to be in tune, so striving to be in tune had the capacity to really surrender so many of their attachments, maybe not all, they were all human, you know, they were all having their foibles and fumbles just like you and I, and we all do. But, 
you know, as much as possible, that is what they were questing for. And along the way, they created a luminous, you know, a luminous life, right? Which we look back at the footsteps, you know, what they're kind of left behind the sands of time, the, the Martin Luther Kings and Gandhis and Lincolns. I mean, oh my God, like you look at them, that's beautiful. You know, Mother Teresa, I'm beautiful, right? And, um, and yet, you know, that moment came and they had to depart. And oftentimes they were able to foretell that moment. You know, Lincoln foretold that moment, as I share in a story in, in the book. Gandhi was able to foretell that moment. Martin Luther King, it seems almost pretty clear that he was able to foretell that moment. And all three of these guys get assassinated and leave what seems to be very prematurely, but perhaps it was very scripted. It was meant to be. And, you know, that's part of the story that they were meant to, you know, in their romance with the universe, like play out and then just like exit, right? Exit the stage. And so to that end, when I think about achievement for me, the new definition of achievement for me is not just going like to find my passion and kind of like just kind of push it and do it as much as I can over the course of my life, but to strive to be in tune, strive to be in tune, strive to be a channel. You know, as Mother Teresa said, she said, like, why are you praising me for anything that I've done? I've done nothing. I've just I've just been the pencil in the hands of God, you know, who's writing a love letter to the world, you know. And why would you want to give credit to the pencil, right? And so how can we be the perfect pencil for whatever it is that, you know, you are meant to manifest and I'm meant to manifest for our families and for society and for the world at large. And maybe it's meant to be grand at scale and maybe it's not. Maybe it's meant to be behind the scenes, just kind of loving and nurturing and being, maybe there's a chapter in which is meant to be grand and another chapter is meant to be small and, you know, um, and anonymous, you know, I don't know. But like if we can be in tune and if we can just strive to, be surrendering our own, you know, human hungers as much as possible. And then one day just kind of, yeah, just walk, you know, walk away in the, in the sunset. Right. I appreciate the perspective immensely. The whole, I, again, to I speak to my dad, he uh, never understood the concept of retirement when you're doing what you love. And I can't imagine it. If anything, I, I look, I hope for as long as I have uh, to live with good health to do more of what I enjoy. And I'm so, so yeah. grateful, so grateful for that. Um, and, you know, we, we mentioned Arthur Brooks who endorsed your book and his book strength to strength. It was yeah. very, um, equipping in looking at that at how to do it different. Cause I do, there's some things I, I am tired of doing. I don't want to do, but there's a lot of other things that I do want to do. And I'm not looking nothing against golf, not looking to spend my time, uh, just uh, the days golf and I'm eager to produce things that I care about back to purpose, uh, which we hit on yeah. in the first show. Well, the last one here is again, looking at drive and what fuels your drive are some, uh, what are some things, are there some things that you do that just inspire you? It's just for you. It just helps fuel you to be the inspired guy that you want to do. It may be interests. It may be hobbies. It may be things that you do that are not even necessarily productive in and of themselves, but they inspire you and help fuel your own drive. It's such a great question. It's such a great question. And I mean, I am blessed to have many different sources of inspiration that, you know, that I can from time to time just stumble into or tap into and just kind of like makes my spirit sore, right? And then and then I want to do my life's most beautiful work. Sometimes yeah. it's a piece of music and you know what it's like when that inspires you, right? And sometimes it's a piece of art, you know, that you see. Um, I am very drawn to movies, you know, I, I love film. And when I watch an inspirational like story unfold itself on the screen, fiction yeah. or nonfiction uh, is incredibly powerful, the impact it has on me walking in the shoes of that, you know, um, yeah, whatever that, you know, figure is, you know, that is being portrayed in the film. 
and living, you know, life through their eyes, you know, for a period of time uh, and questing for something noble and beautiful and, uh, you know, aspirational, despite how life might be beating you down, right, in various circumstances in, in, in that movie. And so, yeah, so, so the film is a great, like, inspirational source for me. Um, you know, stories, stories in general. I, I, I'm a sucker for stories. I, I love stories. And um, often in those stories, there are seeds of just, like, universal wisdom, timeless wisdom uh, that I'm seeking to draw out and um, yeah, practice. I love sharing stories. I love curating stories. Uh, so that's another source for me. Uh, prayer, meditation, chanting, um, just so incredibly grateful for that as a resource through which to, um, yeah, just get to connect and nurture that spirit within and feel feel devoted and dedicated to kind of some higher cause, right, to bring to manifestation in the world. Good literature, you know, just um, reading, reading, a, reading a book with really beautiful language and evocations and characterizations and at times the story arc and what have you. So, um, so, and, you know, the, the achievements of, of human beings in history, I mean, and, you know, like that moment with John Denver or something that Einstein did at some some point and certain struggles somebody had with something and how they were able to, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and how she was able to bring so much positive change, you know, to the, you know, um, just, yeah, just parody of genders, you know, in this country and, you know, had to kind of fight her way gently through the system to be taken as a legitimate voice in some of the, you know, yeah, just kind of cases she was fighting and ultimately ends up being recognized, you know, by being a, you know, actually a storied member of the Supreme Court, you know, seeing all these change and evolution happen and ultimately being a ray of hope for so many, you know, women, you know, since then, including among others, my daughter. So, yeah, you know, just these kind of achievements and people and, you know, these, um, you know, kind of like a world of you know, people who have been the underdogs and how they've fought through and come to a beautiful place. Can I ask any specific films or books, uh, stories that come to mind that are ones that you, whether it's a recent one or or, or one that's just kind of a a standby joy that you have? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, there are there are many. Um, so, in terms of a book, um, you know, there's a book called The Prophet by Khalil Gibran, and uh, it is so mystical. It is so beautiful. Uh, it's so uplifting as a um, basically a poetic treatment of life right. um, and something that, um, you know, has uh, uh, been a classic now for so many decades. A simple read, a powerful read, thought-provoking read. Yeah, so I'd want to offer that up. Okay. Thank you. It's been a gift. Uh, it's been a joy to hear some of the background in your own life. What is driving you? What is how you are pursuing again, your own inner mastery. I appreciate your candor and your humility in it. And uh, this has just been a complete joy. This is flow for me right here. This is work that I work that I love and I can do endlessly. I would be happy to be uh, 90 years old having these conversations and look forward to another one with you. Thank you for the book you put out for the work that you're doing and for the time you've given us. I'm uh, so eager to share this with the audience. Thank you, Hitendra. Yeah. Thank you too, Kevin. I can see you're really living your truth, you know, and that's beautiful to experience. And it has allowed me to be uh, feeling such a sense of fulfillment and just a flow really from my own self as well. And having this conversation with you. So for our listeners, I mean, all the good stuff, if any, there has been in this, uh, Kevin, is owed a lot of credit, you know, for that. And uh, all the mistakes or fumbles I may have had, those are the parts of me that I'm still working on. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah.
We have a lot of entrepreneurs in the What Drives You audience, so I've got a podcast for you, The Side Hustle Show with host Nick Loper. Nick showcases how you can make extra money through stories and ideas of regular people who made it happen, and that's what I appreciate about the show. We so often hear about the unicorn ideas, and we don't hear the regular stories of regular people doing fairly regular things, like Shelly, who started a travel blog in 2020 and now brings in 50000 bucks a month, or Lenny, who started renting out mobility scooters makes three grand a month. You'll hear stories of people reviewing Amazon products, washing windows, and you'll find inspiration from something that can work for you while you keep your day job. Check out The Side Hustle Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app or at sidehustlenation.com. You can actually answer a few short multiple choice questions at hustle.show and get a personalized playlist of the episodes that'll be most relevant to you. The Side Hustle Show.